what was your favorite toy growing up? So I grew up in kind of a large family. I had four older brothers. So with me, mom and dad, there were seven of us. My dad was a minister at a small church in Iowa, and mom stayed home, took care of all the stuff needed for a large family. And and you guys aren't listening to anything I'm saying right now, which is okay, <laughs> right? Really, I get it. It's okay. Dad was a minister, so we didn't have a lot of extra money uh, laying around, you know, buy fancy stuff. I had a great growing up, though, right? We had great vacations. We'd always camp, and we'd drive, and we'd see all kinds of things. Um, we, uh, we never, we rarely went out to restaurants, but we ate really well. Mom did a great job cooking, and we made all kinds of things to play with. But when I actually got a toy, right, when I got something, I really remember it. Because it seemed, I don't know, kind of extravagant or something. One of my toys growing up was, well, maybe with this. And when I grew up, maybe you can guess what it was. Any ideas? Check this out. Announcing Birdie Bird, the new electric-powered copter with rotor blades that actually lift it into flight and precision controls that make you the Birdie Bird's pilot. Use your piloting skills to perform even difficult rescues. Hover into position. You've got him. The Birdie Bird, the copter it takes you to fly. The Birdie Bird electric copter comes with space capsule, landing pad, life craft, and astronaut from Mattel. I don't know if any of you remember that or not. Um, thank you, Scott. Appreciate it. The Verdi Bird, Verdi Bird was kind of the precursor to the drone. I mean, kind of like a stone wheel was a precursor to a Corvette, right? You couldn't, you couldn't actually do much with it. It was fun. There was two levers, right? You really got to figure out how to control things. Um, but it had a two-foot radius, right? If you wanted to rescue the astronaut, he better be on your two-foot radius. You weren't going to pick him up. But it was still hard. It was still fun. Right? It was kind of my first experience with like a remote control toy, right? controlling something. And it was a blast. I mean, to a 10-year-old in the early 70s, it was amazing. Now we have drones, right? We have drones that, that are controlled by something a little bit more complicated than a couple of levers, right? And this usually has a smartphone so you can see what the drone is seeing little bit harder to do. And you can actually take the drone to places you can't physically go. You can go see things. right? You, you, it can go places that we can't. So this is 21st century amazing. All right, now we're going to come back to that in just a minute. This is the last week in the series that we're calling Everyday Priorities. Right? And here's the concept. There are likely things in our lives that look like normal everyday things that subtly and slowly become the focus of our lives and our hearts. And before we realize it, we take a good thing and replace God with this good but not as good as God thing. And anything that replaces God in our hearts is unstable and unhealthy and leads to the reality of anxiety, greed, and emptiness as we seek approval, hope, and love from anything rather than God. These idols take the place of God sitting on the throne of our hearts. A key verse for this series is from 1 John. It says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. Anything. It can be anything in our lives. Some are obvious. 
Some are a little sneakier. All of them are incredibly dangerous. And here's the definition of idol that we talked about. Idol, again, anything that replaces God. Now, the first week of this series, Adam promised promised everyone that they would be offended at some point uh, during the series, right? We've talked about politics and religion and family. So just in case you haven't been offended yet, I'm here to deliver on that promise, right? We're going to get intensely personal today, right? We're going to talk about putting ourselves in front of God. And we're, going to talk, we're talking the I in idol. Selfishness, self-centeredness, me first, I want to, hey, look at me, check out the selfie, right? All of these are ways. Now, the bad news for me is that because we're talking about self, I pretty much have to talk about how I've been self-centered in my life. Yeah. So now you know why Adam isn't up here, and I am. Now, to use the image that I just referenced about setting self up as an idol in our lives requires that we push God off the throne. Now, this isn't something you just walk up to God, grab him by the collar, and fling him across the room. Right? It's, much, it's much subtler than that. It's slower. We, end up, we start by talking with God, and we get more comfortable, and then we maybe lean on the throne just a little bit. And then we get a little more comfortable, and we talk, and, and you know, we just, just want to sit on the edge. Right? Kind of just get one cheek up there. But then we keep taking more and more. And slowly, ever so slowly, we scooch onto the throne and God is off. And we're at the center of our lives. Let me use another image for you. Let's take uh, the drone, right? This drone is us flying through life, okay? And God, God is the has the controller, right? He is the expert pilot. He is taking us on the best possible path for our lives. Sometimes, though, we kind of look off on the horizon and we see something that we think might be interesting, but God isn't taking us there. And so we kind of reach over and we want to play with the controller, right? And we see other drones that are over there and they seem to be having a good time. It seems to be fun. And they seem to be controlling themselves. They seem to be more independent, autonomous. And that seems better to us. So we start to push some more buttons. And we start to pull a little bit. And pretty soon, we're holding the controller. And God is standing off to the side. So right now, a lot of us might be thinking, hey, that's maybe not so bad, right? That's okay. God's still there. What's the problem, right? I mean, if we take, we, we do have to take care of ourselves, you know, life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. If I'm going to be self-actualized like all of the self-help books say I should be, I need to be holding the controller. Right? We believe this to be true. I need to be in control. Besides, if I get in trouble, I just hand it right back to God. Right? He's still right there. And all that sounds perfectly rational. We do need to think about ourselves. Right? We do need to take care of our health, physical, emotional, spiritual health. We have choices in life that we need to make. The problem is that when we're holding on the controller, that's not God's plan for our life. God made us to be dependent on him. 
dependent in a really, really good way. Jesus said it like this. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Branches don't wander away from the vine. They wither. Drones don't fly themselves. They crash. Now here's the thing. God actually knows what we need better than we do. He has it all mapped out, the best possible flight path for our lives, and he has already offered it to us. We just need to let him keep the controller. Or actually, for many of us, we need to give it back. Now, there's a story uh, that about a couple of self-centered people that Jesus told to his disciples and other people that were kind of hanging around. We call a story like this a parable because it's a story with a point. Jesus used a lot of these when he was teaching. And as I was thinking about this topic today, this parable really jumped out at me. And I think it's because I see myself in this story so clearly. It's in Luke 15. Let's take a look. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Now listen, I'm a dad, right? And if one of my kids walked up to me and said that, this is what I'd, this is what I'd hear. Hey, dad, I wish you were dead so I could have your money. In fact, give me your money now and I'll just pretend you're dead, right? This is not cool, right? This is not cool. The father in this story represents God, and so the son, that's, that's us, in case you're wondering, the son walks up to God and says, hey, give me the controller and all the extra batteries, I'm out of here. And so God would rightfully smite him, right? No, that's not what happened. Look at this. The father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. Let's continue on. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land, and there he wasted all of his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. There are four years in my life when I intentionally, actively turned my back on God. I believe there was a God. I believed he sent his son Jesus into the world, and I believe that Jesus' death and resurrection was the only path to spend eternity with God. I just didn't think leading a Christian life would be very fun. I wanted parties and entertainment and relationships that were not godly been there? So I intentionally turned my back on God to pursue things in this life that I thought would be more fun than the things that God, the things that God knew I needed. I took the controller, and I was flying all over the place. Maybe you can relate. I put myself in first place ahead of God, which is pretty, but pretty much the textbook definition of idolatry. Now, can I just tell you, candidly, just between us, this didn't work out very well for me. I went from straight A's as a junior in high school 
to being on academic probation heading into my junior year of college. I went from having a group of friends that loved me and cared about me to calling anybody that wanted to grab a drink a friend. And although my relationship with my family was okay, it was only okay because I was really good at leading a double life and being acting good around them. But when I wasn't around them, anything but. Maybe you've been there. Maybe you're there right now. Now, while I was never actually arrested, and that's only by the grace of God, I had a lot of encounters with authorities that were not pleasant. One of them I have absolutely no memory of. I was told about it later. This is the stuff that happens when we pursue a life that we think will be more fun, that will be better than life with God. Let's go back to our story. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, At home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So why did the son return? Well, if we read this story literally... He was hungry. I think it's safe to say that his life was not going the way that he thought it would. He wasted everything he was given, and now he was in a mess. Maybe you feel this way. I know I felt that way. I felt all alone. This is where he wakes up, and he wants to give the controller back to God. He realizes he's not qualified to control his own life, that there is someone much better to keep his life on the best path. He doesn't even feel he deserves to be a son or an heir anymore. He just hopes he can get hired on as a servant for his father because that would be much better than what he got himself into. So back to the scripture. He said, So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. And his son said, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house, put it on him, get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet, and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For the son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. God doesn't even wait for us to come all the way back, right? He runs to us. He is so excited that we have recognized we can't fly ourselves. He rushes back to take the controller as soon as we're ready to give it to him. He wants to get us on that best possible flight path. It's so cool. Now back to my little parallel story here. God was so gracious, and he spared me a lot of the consequences that really would have messed up my life. And I know that's not everybody's story. That that may not be your story. But no matter what our story is, this is true. God has something for you. God never stops pursuing us. He put people in my life to remind me, God loves you. God has something better for you than this. Everywhere we turn, we bump into God. 
So one night, I was sitting in my car in the parking lot of a Baptist church somewhere in Mississippi. Yeah, that's kind of a long story. But this is when I finally got serious about my future. Now, I wish I could tell you that I had this vision of what life would be like with God and without God, you know, kind of like it's a wonderful life. I'd like to tell you that. But my motivation is actually a little bit more on the negative side. In Jesus' story, the son returned because he was hungry. I returned because I was scared. Have you ever been scared? Scared that maybe you're going to spend life alone because of all the choices you've made? Or maybe you're, you're dissatisfied. You're dissatisfied where you are in your life right now because of the choices that you've made. And you think there should be something more. Or maybe, maybe you're just confused, right? You really thought it was all just about, about politics or religion or family or friends or success or wealth. And you're finding that's not true. And here I am telling you, it's about putting God first. God wants the best for us. Right? Listen, He actually wants the best for us more than we do. Did you know that? God wants what's best for you more than you do. Anything that replaces God in our hearts is unstable and unhealthy and leads towards the reality of anxiety, greed, and emptiness as we seek approval, hope, and love from anything rather than God. So how do you let go of the controller so that God can guide your life? How do you get yourself out of first place and off the throne? How do you stop thinking about yourself first? Well, let's do a little bit of an experiment. And this isn't like a white lab coat and beaker kind of experiment. This is a thought experiment. So for the next 15 seconds or so, all I want you to do is to not think about food. Okay? Not think about food. Got it? Let's go. Now, don't think about barbecue or steaks on a grill or sizzling hamburgers. Don't think about the flaky crust on a pie that's been freshly baked with some ice cream on the side. Right? Don't think about fresh hot cookies or s'mores. Don't think about the smell of fresh bread when it just comes out of the oven. Don't think about the feeling you get from a steaming cup of soup on a cold night. And don't think about pizza or french fries or mac and cheese. And whatever you do, don't think about Thanksgiving meal. Pretty easy? Not think about food? I know, it's not fair, right? That's what you're saying. It's not fair. You were talking about food the whole time. There were pictures of food up here. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But our culture and our nature, right, that's doing the same thing to us. When we try to not think about ourselves, what we're hearing is, you're worth it. You deserve a break, right? All the, everybody else is doing that, right? All the real men do that. All the kids at school are doing that. We have this constant bombardment. And by the way, I'm not telling you, not telling you to beat yourself up. I'm not telling you to think less of yourself. What I'm saying is we just need to think about ourselves less, right? Don't think less of yourself. Think about yourself less. So how do we do that? 
I'm going to give you some ideas, right? Some ways that for you to think about something besides yourself. Just not an exhaustive list, just a few ways. And I think a lot of these are going to sound familiar. The first one is surrender control. Adam talked about this last week. You need to pray to God and tell him that you're ready to give the control back to him. Just like the younger son said, Father, forgive me. I have sinned against both heaven and you. Now, this might mean accepting God's gift of salvation for the first time, which would be fantastic. If Jesus is already already your Savior, this may be giving him, asking him to become Lord of your life. Now, what does that mean? Well, basically, it just means, Jesus, I want you to have control. I want to be your servant. I want to follow you and become like you. Maybe you don't know what to pray. That's okay. God can help there too. The Holy Spirit will help us pray when words fail us, when we don't know what to pray. Next, I'm going to say you should be reading the Bible. What do you read? Lots of available options out there. Uh, The Ridge Reading Challenge is on our app. You can take a look at that. If you want to know more specifically the words of Jesus and what he taught, you can look in the first four four books in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, when I was making a decision to give God control back, I'd been making a lot of unwise choices. And so I wanted to kind of hear God's wisdom in my life. So I read a chapter of Proverbs every day. I did this for years. It's really simple. The book of Proverbs has 31 chapters, so you don't even need a reading plan. You just need a calendar, right? Whatever, the day, whatever day of the month it is, that's the chapter that you read. And did I understand everything I was reading? No way. But every day, I got something. Okay, so let's, let's practice this. Today is November 14th. Let's take a look at uh, Proverbs 14. Verse 2 says, Those who follow the right path fear the Lord. Those who take the wrong path despise him. This is a reminder, keep your hands off the controller, right? Let God pilot us because he has the best flight path. Verse 7, stay away from fools for you won't find knowledge on their lips. So be a good reminder to check your friend list, right? Which one of your friends are encouraging you to take the controller back? Which ones of your friends are encouraging you to think about what would Jesus do in this situation? Which friend should you stay away from? How about verse 21? It is a sin to belittle one's neighbor. Blessed are those who help the poor. Kind of a twofer. So if you're having trouble with your neighbor, are you talking to other people about your neighbor? Maybe that's the wrong path. What does God say about our neighbor? We need to love our neighbor as we love ourselves which leads us into helping the poor. How do you help the poor? A lot of ways to do that. It's kind of between you and God. The point is to do something. Don't don't just think about it. About verse 23. Work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. Enough said. So if you don't get something, or you don't understand what you're reading, the beauty of doing it this way is... Next month, you're going to read it again, right? Maybe it'll click next month. Or you might find out as you're reading something that there's this nudge that you need to know a little bit more about that. So you can ask somebody, what does this mean? What do you get out of this? You can do some research on the verse, right? You can dig into it a little deeper. 
the important point here is step one is our responsibility. We need to read the Bible. And then step two is God's, right? God will nudge you. Actually, the Holy Spirit will nudge you into thinking about that more or doing something because of what you're reading. But step one is ours. We need to read. If you don't get something today, that's okay. Come back tomorrow. Don't get something all week? Okay, come back tomorrow. Now, if you don't get something all year, there's probably something wrong, okay? And you need to check in with somebody like Adam or Reed or Tim or me or somebody up front. You can, te- you can you know, ask the chat host. You can even text uh, to the number that we all know because Becca says it 14 times every Sunday, 812-408-1188, right? There are people that can help you to understand what it is that you're reading. Okay, the last suggestion from me is hang around other godly people. People that are a little further down the road, you don't have to do this alone. You don't have to start from scratch. God will help you, but it's also nice to have somebody to talk to. So where do you find these other people? Well, you could join Celebrate Recovery. You could join a life group. You could volunteer here at the Ridge. All of these ways are going to put you in touch with other people that might be experiencing some of the things that you are. And they are a little farther down the road, and they can kind of help you understand what you're feeling, what your next steps might be. It gives you somebody to talk to. Now, when I was first preparing to talk today, this was about where I was going to end. But there were two sons in Jesus' story. And we've only talked about one. Let's go back to the parable. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what was going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf we are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. For many of us, we easily identify with the younger son. We've wasted part of our life, and we wonder if God will take us back. He will. We've just read that. He will take us back no matter what we've done. There are a few of us that are in danger of being more like the older brother, the one that stayed home. The one that seemed to do everything the father wanted, but even though we stayed close, we still reject God and what he wants for us. We don't give God the controls fully. Now, part of Jesus' audience were sinners, the ones that readily identified with the younger brother. But part of his audience were also the religious people, the religious leaders of his day, the Pharisees. And I'm pretty sure Jesus wanted them to see themselves in the older brother. There are many ways for us to take the controller back from God. Some are obvious. Some aren't. Some may be only known just to you and God. But no matter how we end up with the controller in our hand, the way back is the same. We need to surrender control, read the Bible, and hang out with other godly people. 
But first, first you have to admit that you're holding the controls and that you need to give the controller back to God. Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I just want to be your servant. I'd like to pray for us. God, it is so, so good to know that no matter what we've done, you're still there and you want us back. God, you will take us back as soon as we turn to you. God, thank you so much for giving us this story about how no matter what, you want us back. And God, I just pray today that you would help us in some way to take that step closer to you doesn't matter where we are in our relationship, God. We can draw closer and we can do more. Or we, we can actually, we can do less. And God, you can do more if we will let you. God, help us keep our hands off the control. Help us keep our fingers from trying to control our lives. And that, God, you have that. And God, we want what's best for us. And we know that you do. You want it even more than we do. Jesus, I am thankful for your sacrifice so that we can spend eternity with you and the Father in heaven. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.